I really like the way that video sets up the discussion today. You remember that our focus for this particular sermon series we're calling Back to the Basics. The focus of this series is to understand who God really is, not just who we want Him to be. And one of the attributes of God that we really need to understand and unpack a little bit, and we're going to do that today, is His wisdom. The Bible as a whole reveals that God is wise. As the video pointed out, in an effort to understand this profound attribute of who God is, wisdom is personified in the Old Testament as a woman. She engages the world and she interacts with us, as the video pointed out, most often with our circumstances resulting in some kind of a better life or some kind of a better outcome. There is this sort of, as was described, cause and effect reality as we read the story of Proverbs. In other words, if I just apply some of the truths and some of the ways, my life can actually be just made a little bit better and I can garner some better results in my life. But however, if we really dig a little bit deeper... Wisdom and the Bible also admonishes us to hold things kind of loosely. To not set all of our weight down on this cause and effect reality. And that's where you would learn a little bit more if you studied the book of Ecclesiastes. Because in Ecclesiastes, uh, the author kind of reminds us that sometimes bad things do happen to good people. And so therefore, just applying some kind of human logic and relying on God to make all of my circumstances better. If I do this, I should get this. It doesn't always work that way. And so the Bible also teaches us to hold those things kind of loosely. Trusting in God. The deeper that you dig, the more you find that this idea of wisdom is a little bit harder than we think to comprehend. That's the story of Job. And if you went on and kept digging into reading the story of Job, you would find that his life defied a lot of different things and a lot of logic. And then as he tried to understand it, he was admonished by God himself. And we certainly can study and understand, and we've talked about already, that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so... Sometimes this idea of wisdom becomes a little bit difficult to embrace. Sometimes the idea of wisdom is such that we fear God for the wrong reasons. Sometimes the idea why the choices that parents make aren't always understood by their children. And yet we know that there is a reason... We, parents, right? We usually know there's a reason. Hopefully it's not just that we're tired and angry, right? Most of the time we are doing things, making decisions for our family that have some kind of reason and our children look at it and sometimes they just don't get it. But we're doing it for their good. We need to think about God in that kind of way. And so one of the questions that I have for you this morning as we ponder together 
is, do you really trust in God's wisdom? I want you to think about that question as I'm speaking this morning. Do you really trust in God's wisdom? More often than not, God's wisdom is portrayed in the Bible as beneficial and good. I'll tell you one brief story. Some of you will be familiar with it. If you were to go back into the Old Testament, into a book called 1 Kings, and if you turn to the third chapter in 1 Kings, you would be reading about a person by the name of Solomon. He is actually the author of Proverbs. He had just had an encounter with God through a dream where God allowed him to ask for anything that he would. And Solomon chose to ask for wisdom. God blessed that choice, and Solomon became, ultimately, blessed with wisdom that really no one else on earth other than Jesus has ever known. Very immediately, he is confronted with a difficult situation. The story would go on, starting in verse 16 of 1 Kings, and would talk about the idea of two women who had just given birth. They are described as being prostitutes in the story. And I think the significance of that is that they would have given birth alone. They would have not have had the support of family and friends around them. And so the story describes that these two women were the only two people present as the other gave birth. And they each had a child at about the same time. The story would go on to describe that one night, one of the children passed away. And of course, you can imagine the grief that accompanied that loss of life for that one mother. In her grief, a couple of little bit later, uh, she takes that child and she lays that child next to the other mom and takes the live child as her own. Now, mind you, the story is careful to say that it's only those two women that are present and only those two women that understand what has happened. But we obviously see a little bit more because of the story. But somehow or another, there's a dispute. You can imagine the dispute that breaks out, right? One mom says, no, that child is mine. And the other one says, no, that child is mine. And they're each claiming this live child as their own. And they're brought before the king, King Solomon. And the king is forced to render a verdict on whose child the mother's, whose child it will go to. Whose mother the child will go to is what I mean, right? Solomon thinks, and it says that in his wisdom, he decides to cut the child in two and give half to each of the moms. Now, to the one mom, the mom who had lost a child, that actually seemed fair and reasonable. But to the other mom, the mom who was the real mother of the live child, she pleaded. And she begged the king not to follow through. She would have rather seen her child live and go with this other woman than she would to have seen her child killed in that moment. And it was in that moment that Solomon knew who the real mother was. Because the love of a mother was pleading on behalf of her child. Now the significance of that particular story is that the people around were amazed. And that was a demonstration of what wisdom produces when it relates to justice. 
And so often in our own stories, in our own lives, that's kind of how we perceive wisdom. It's the ability to discern truth. It's the ability to make good choices. It's the ability of ourselves to get along better in life. And that's a prime example uh, in the Old Testament of how wisdom was portrayed. We could go on and on and look at other stories of wisdom. There's Joseph, of course, in Genesis and uh, the wisdom that he exhibited in preparing Egypt to live through a famine. There's stories you can look at the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's all different stories of wisdom being portrayed throughout the Old Testament. We could go into the Psalms and look at some of the wisdom of the Psalms. We could even jump over into the New Testament. and We could read this verse out of James, these two verses from chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Paul and Peter, of course, have a lot to say about wisdom as well. And we certainly shouldn't just gloss over the earthly life of Jesus, should we? He demonstrated a lot of wisdom when he was interacting with people who were trying to trick him. The Bible is full of stories that show that God is wise. His wisdom is not just on display in the Bible. It's on display for all of us in the world around us every day. Through his design of nature. Through his design of the cosmos. His design of our bodies. His interaction and his role in uh, the relationships that we have with one another. God's wisdom is an essential part of his nature, of his character, and of how he governs and relates to us on a personal level. And I think as Proverbs highlights for us, his wisdom is available for us, and it's going to help us become better at just about everything. So again, I ask you this question. Do you really trust in the wisdom of God? I'd like to draw your attention to a verse in Genesis. And I think this verse kind of highlights why for many of us we actually do struggle to say yes to that question. Many of us struggle to trust in God's wisdom. Let me read it for you from chapter 3 and verse 6. This is all all the way back to a story that some of you learned in Sunday school. The story of Adam and Eve. And it goes like this. And I'm just going to read verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. I don't know how many times you've read that verse before. I've read it a lot of times before. I don't know that I've ever really paid much attention to that phrase, also desirable for gaining wisdom. It says right there that one of the reasons that Eve ate the fruit was she thought that it would help her gain wisdom. 
And so giving in to temptation, she reasoned. She reasoned that it would be good for her and her husband to gain wisdom. Many of us would reason similarly. If I could grow in my understanding, that would be a good thing. The question becomes, what wisdom? What kinds of things would I grow in my understanding of? And you'd have to read a sentence or two, a verse or two before, because Satan had tempted her with the desire to be like God. She would, by eating that apple, have the ability to know good and evil. She would know good and evil, thereby, Satan says, being more like God. And to some of us, that might even make some sense now. What's wrong with knowing more about good and evil, right? Well, what did eating the apple, the fruit we call it, exactly give her. It gave her exactly what she thought, but not quite in the way that she conceived it. Because what was supposed to be a good thing turned into a shame-filled thing that we have, as humanity, been recovering from ever since. Because God never wanted us to know good and evil. He only ever wanted us to know good. His goodness. His relationship. In Eve's case, she gave in to the temptation to call evil. That was, don't eat of the fruit of that tree. That was evil. She gave in to the temptation to call evil good. It looked good, and it was useful for gaining wisdom. She flipped the script based upon the temptation that she was experiencing. And that's the story of so many of our lives on down through to this day. I could ask you how many of you think that pursuing something helpful is a good thing when in reality it's evil that is twisted to look like good. We want to follow Christ. We want to trust in God, but we make choices that don't show that we really trust His plan for us. The plan that we find in the Bible. We say we want to follow Him, but then in choosing our own ways, we deny the very things that we say. We choose instead to try to be like Him on our own and in our own strength. Rather than trusting in His goodness. Isaiah, in the fifth chapter, a prophet in the Old Testament would say it this way, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Paul would say in the New Testament when writing his letter to the Romans in the 16th chapter, he would say, For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. But, here's a big but, I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. God never meant for us to know good and evil. But we wanted to be like Him rather than Trusting Him. 
A pursuit of wisdom has always held the temptation that we can be like God. And to want to be like God in a way that Satan tempted Eve is really to say that I don't fully trust in God. For me, I was impressed at an early age to pray the prayer that James calls us to pray in the New Testament, to pray for wisdom. It was impressed upon me that that was a good prayer to pray. And honestly, between you and me, there's probably been no prayer that I have prayed more consistently in my life than, God, please give me wisdom. But it's only upon reflection, especially for this sermon, but probably over the last couple of years, where I have recognized that my pursuit of wisdom has been quite self-serving. Because as I prayed for God to give me wisdom, what I was really trying to glean was more knowledge. And I thought that if I could gain more knowledge, maybe I could become more persuasive. And maybe if I could become more persuasive, people would come to know Christ and come to know who He is through my persuasive arguments. But really, what was I trying to do? I was trying to become more like God for my own purposes. And I found that over time it's become very difficult, even defeating, because people don't listen to my arguments. And sometimes I found over the years that people actually are turned off by my arguments, believe it or not. It's a tough thing to truly understand what we're praying for when we are praying for wisdom. I haven't always pursued wisdom as a means to trust God. Pursuing wisdom has been more about growing in my own confidence, my own powers, my own ability to discern truth. Thus, I have often pursued knowledge and prayed for wisdom in an effort to try and convince myself that I'm doing the right things and others as well. So if my experience can help anyone this morning, particularly those of you that are young and kind of coming up and kind of struggling with this idea of wisdom and discernment, then let my experience help shape you this morning. Are you pursuing forms of wisdom? Let's call it education. Let's call it a relationship. Let's call it money, wealth, security, recognition, anything that the world says we should be pursuing for its own sake. Are you pursuing any of those things, believing that only if you had them, that somehow you think you could be better off and serve God better because of it? The wisdom that we need from God, the wisdom that we draw from God, cannot be based upon a need or a desire to be smarter than everyone else, or more wealthy, or more secure, In and of themselves, those things are not wrong. There's nothing wrong with those outcomes. The pursuit of knowledge is a very, very good thing. I wouldn't be who I am without those who have deeply pursued knowledge and understanding and taught me along the way. But, in our pursuit of knowledge and understanding, we must start with, as the video pointed out, We start with the fear of the Lord. 
Your application of wisdom must translate into a deep and affectionate love of Christ. Remember, our goal in going back to the basics is to develop a deep love and trust in God by understanding His nature. This morning, His nature as being wise. And therefore, to grow in our ability to live into that knowledge such that it translates into love of Him and others and that it permeates the actions of our everyday life. The pursuit of wisdom for selfish gains is an exercise in missing the bullseye of the target of praying for wisdom. God's wisdom is available to each of us in exceeding measure, but for His glory. So I ask you again, but I ask it differently this time, is God's wisdom enough for you? Is God's wisdom enough for you? I'm going to turn to Ephesians. You can turn with me if you'd like. I'm going to read some verses in chapter 1. I'm going to start a little bit before verse 9. And I'll read... A few verses here. Ephesians chapter 1, starting with 8 and a half, <laughs> says this. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Amen. Notice how that started. With all wisdom and understanding, and then it pointed to Jesus Christ. God's wisdom is on full display through the glorious revelation of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 1, Paul calls it God's mysterious will. His will was to restore a broken relationship with his ultimate creation, the human race. And by the world's standards, it was a foolish plan. Paul says so over in 1 Corinthians. It was confounding. It was a confounding plan for ages and ages and ages. Even the prophets and even some of the angels longed to know what was going to happen, what was going on, and it wasn't revealed but until these last days, so says Paul. But remember how this all started, going all the way back to Genesis 3. God knew that we needed a Savior. Adam and Eve perverted our sense of what is good. And it's only in Christ that we can be restored to a proper understanding. Since the fall of people, since the fall of humanity, People have been pursuing ways to live apart from and in competition with God. 
but those who recognize the love of God and are compelled to trust Him, we have a different view. Our ultimate satisfaction, the fulfillment of the purpose in life, is to be in union with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Through that union, we bring glory and honor to God. The marvelous and the mysterious plan, the mysterious revelation of God's wisdom was not the imparting of more knowledge to us, but it was the gift of an uninhibited relationship with Him. You need to hear that again. His marvelous and mysterious revelation of Jesus Christ and His mysterious wisdom was not so that we could have more knowledge alone, but that we could be in an uninhibited relationship with Jesus Christ. In the last half of the first chapter of Ephesians, it would go on to say this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul declares that he was praying for all of his readers to have this spirit of wisdom that would guide them into a deeper and more full understanding of who God is, of God's love, of His desire to be in relationship with us. He was praying that their hearts would be flooded with light so that we can understand the confident hope that we have, the glorious inheritance that we have because of who Jesus Christ is. In 1 Corinthians, the 24th verse, it says this, But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the manifestation of God's wisdom throughout the ages. So, God's wisdom prevailed through His Son, Jesus Christ. His wisdom continues to be available to those who ask for it to those who believe and surrender their life to His plans and purposes. Appealing to God's wisdom can build trust in a seemingly chaotic world. In the chaotic times of your life, when things are falling apart, when relationships are breaking and being torn apart, when jobs are being lost and found, and when school is overwhelming, and when... Home is tough and parents seem like they don't understand. When money is tight, despite your best efforts. When you experience ridicule and you are shamed because of your biblical worldview. God's wisdom is woven into the world around you. And you can take comfort in knowing that God is wise. Wiser than the world. Let's come back to our first thought. The wisdom of God 
is on full display throughout the Scripture. His wisdom is an ever-present reality in good times and bad. His wisdom is on display whether life treats us logically with good cause and effects or it treats us seemingly randomly and gives us trials. His wisdom is higher than any of our understandings and provides assurance that a much bigger and more comprehensive and yet all-inclusive plan for those who believe will one day come together working out for good. This is not a question. This is a statement. You can trust in the wisdom of God. As a means of responding today, we're going to do something that I don't know we've done in service before, but some of you will be familiar with it. It's called, titled Lectio Divina. And what it is, is it's a method of reading Scripture, considering, meditating, and contemplating upon Scripture. And basically what we're going to do is, I'm going to read a Scripture. I will quote it to you. I will quote it to you at a normal pace. And I want you to just listen to it. You might choose to close your eyes. You might choose to focus on something in the room. You might... Do whatever it is that you can do to kind of really focus on the Scripture. I'll read it once, quote it, and then what I'd like you to do is take a minute in silence and just consider what you just heard. What word stuck out, stood out to you? Focus on that word and ask the Holy Spirit to help you unpack what you're feeling. I will then quote it again more slowly, this time giving you a chance to focus deeper on a word or a thought or a phrase or a feeling or an emotion that comes to your mind. We'll take some more silence and then I will pray. This is a method of reading scripture that you can use at any time, any place, and it's an opportunity rather than just getting through something to take some time and truly listen to what God is saying to us. So I invite you to find a posture, a place, a focus, and listen to these words that come from Proverbs, the third chapter, verses 5 through 7. Resist the temptation to say, I've heard this before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, Acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil.
trust. In the Lord. With all your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will Direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and Shun evil. Our Father, as we listen to your voice and discern the words that you have given to us through your inspired scripture, we seek to recognize the areas in our life where we are pursuing wisdom for our own gain. We seek to give you more access to the recesses of our heart, becoming open and vulnerable to the truth of your word and the grace with which it is given. We want to trust you more. We want you to guide our paths and our steps. We want to know you more. Bring to our minds today 
the ways in which we struggle, the ways in which we pursue the temptation to elevate ourselves, to be equal or above you, to elevate things in the world around us, to be greater than the pursuit of you. As you draw those things to our minds, as you bring words to our minds from your word, Lord, may we learn to trust that you have our best interest at heart, that you are wise, wiser than the ways of this world, that you are strong stronger than the ways of this world, that you are completely trustworthy, wholly loving, fully gracious, ever merciful and faithful. We can trust you. We can trust in your wisdom. Lord, may we grow in that way today. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. As the worship team comes, they're going to instrumentally play for us while we continue in moments of contemplation, consideration. There is a card in front of you in the back of the seat. We call it a connection card. If you're visiting with us, we would love for you to fill out that connection card and tell us that you're visiting with us today. On one side is information for your name. On another side is an opportunity for you to write down a way that we could pray with you or for you or to share with us something that's happening in your life. Maybe it's a praise note. Maybe it's a prayer request. We have teams of people that will pray throughout the week for those cards. So please take some time to fill that card out. There will be Uh, There's baskets up here on the altar, and there will also be ushers at the back who will receive your connection cards. And if you do have a tithe, an offering, a gift, something that you would like to give to the church this morning, uh, that would be received in those baskets as well. You can do that at any time while we're singing through the end of the service, or you can do it as you exit the sanctuary this morning. Our worship team will play softly. And then they will lead us in a couple more songs and we will be done.